0: Hey, Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is on Patreon.
1: Yeah, if you're one of the people who have been sending us letters saying that you want more Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories in your life, this is your opportunity.
0: Boy, do we love doing this. If we could just do this all the time and not do anything else, well, I guess we would just do this, right?
1: And we'll make it easy and cheap and affordable because we do love it so much. There's two membership tiers right now. The Record Store Kid membership tier is just five bucks a month. Uh, Get our weekly email update which we will be launching with our patreon and uh, at least one spinoff episode per month and then we have another tier it's the headphone junkie tier that's ten dollars a month and you get two two patreon only spinoff episodes per month plus that weekly newsletter that's simple that's it if you want to support the show all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories and we'll throw that link in the notes
0: Don't don't go to sleep and do me a favor Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've bruised half your body sleeping.
1: I I sleep pretty hard.
0: Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it is Murdoch. Welcome. If it's your first time, welcome on board the crazy bus with Brian and I.
1: It's easy if you want to be a part of the show. All you have to do is send us an email. We are the storyguys at gmail.com. Like our friend Andrew. Andrew, thank you for writing the show. Uh, Murdoch, you're going to you're going to like this one. Hey guys, I recently discovered the pod. It's awesome. Just the thing for a rock and roll nerd like me. Wondering if you could shed some light on a certain mystery for me. How in the world did Vince Neil get away with a slap on the wrist after his 1984 car accident? <laughs> How have we not talked about this, dude? Uh-oh. Motley Crue alert. Motley Crue alert. This is like... In X Men, when Wolverine's claws come out, when we mutter the names of any of the members of a certain '80s rock band, Murdoch instantly transforms into a superhero form, Motley Crew band. Like his hair is growing right now, spandex is wrapping around his calves.
0: And he's instantly referring to women as broads. It's it's insane. I hate the last thing you went there and threw me into the '80s, Andrew. <laughs> why the why the hell don't why don't why doesn't anyone talk about this? Oh man, I mean I remember it.
1: Like, Is, I so you do. You remember him.
0: firsthand because you're what, twelve at this Eleven, point? Eleven. Eleven. Okay. Guess. And and Andrew, I remember seeing like the picture of him in the gray suit, and I was like, it was like seeing Kiss without the makeup. It's like, oh, he's not dressed <laughs> up like yeah, a woman. He he's not wearing dressed makeup. Going
1: to court. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like it's like here's this like blonde Adonis going to court for oh, a DUI, and it wasn't his only one.
1: Uh, We're right. Oh my gosh. There's so much here. So let me first say, really, this is a story about what could have been, right? There's like a way to approach this question that really pushes us into examining something different. It's not so much a question of how did Vince Neil continue to be Vince Neil, though that's a decent question. But there's a query here concerning what could have been for a certain Finnish rock band. Have we ever talked about Finnish rock on the pod before? Rock from Finland?
0: We've talked about Apocalyptica, you know the That's true, we the, have. So the, the the cello guys that play the Metallica yeah. songs. Yeah. How, how many Finnish sure. rock
1: bands can you name besides Apocalyptica?
0: There's the one that um HIM, mm-hmm. right? They're big, yeah. And then the Leningrad Cowboys. Those oh, I, I yeah,
1: know. I didn't even know about them. Uh, Nightwish, they're kind of big right now, Sonata Arctica. A lot of this is like symphonic metal. That's what they really excel yeah. at in Finland.
0: Yeah, they're yeah, it, it's like them in Norway well, I mean, the whole Scandinavian, uh, the whole team there, they're all throwing out <laughs> Children of Bodum, they're from uh,
1: Finland, I think. There was this band I had forgotten about until I went looking for Finnish rock bands that had a hit in the early 2000s. This band, The Rasmus, it was the only time they crossed over, it was like in 2003 in America. And they had this kick-ass song called In the Shadows. Yeah. Rips. They're still around. Uh, But the Finnish band, there's a particular Finnish band I want to talk about today. And if you know this story, you know where we're headed. But they're arguably the band that's had the biggest impact on American music ever coming from Finland. You know, some people would argue if these guys didn't exist, we might not have ever gotten bands like Poison, Skid Row, or even Guns N' Roses.
0: Now, I don't know if yeah. you think, do you think that's giving them too much credit? I think from an image standpoint, if you, if you want to do this DNA, um, and Andrew, thanks for writing this amazing letter and enjoy this nerdiness I'm about to throw at everybody, <laughs> right? So, so Kiss couldn't look cool because Gene looked like a linebacker, so they couldn't right? dress in drag, so they made themselves into monsters and aliens and stuff. And seeing them without the makeup, like, it, it changed things. They were a different band. Hanoi looked different than the Dolls, too. Yeah. And they were much more glammed out, you know? It's like there's a difference between, like, listening to Johnny Thunders and listening to Hanoi Rocks. Like, it just felt a little more glam metal. And it's weird because when you listen to them and look at them, it's like, oh, man, it kind of looks like Guns N' Roses. It's like, oh, no, Guns N' Roses looks like Hanoi Rocks.
1: Yeah, right. So it all starts with this guy named Matty Intero, Christian Fagerholm. Uh, That dude had his own vibe. For instance, he wants to play music, and he gets a rehearsal space, and he meets these dudes who are in the rehearsal space next door who are in a punk band, and they like him. They hit it off. They invite him to join the punk band, but they tell him, if you're going to join our punk band, we need you to cut your hair. And his response to them is, quote, I am not going to be a slave to fashion. (laughs) I I love that story because it really sets the tone. It shows the flavor we're going to get from this guy. Instead of being a slave to fashion, this dude starts a band in the Finnish club circuit, and they play covers. They play the MC5, and they play the police, and they play Cheap Trick, and then they mix in their own stuff.
0: Scandinavians, man, they get it so different. Like The things they're exposed to and the music that... It's like listen to that. Like a, a American cover band wouldn't play all of those.
1: Well, you know? and, and here's you bring up an interesting point. How do they get exposed to this stuff when they're halfway across right. the world, right? And so right. Yeah. that's that brings us to another name that I I didn't know much about this guy, but they meet this guy when they're playing covers one night. They meet this guy named Seppo Vesterinen. When we ran down that name of Finnish bands that we could name off the top of our heads that have crossed over in the U.S. market, pretty much none of that happens without Seppo. He died back in 2020, but throughout his career, he works for most of the the acts we mentioned. He manages him. He manages the Rasmus. He helps a ton of other folks, too. And one of his obits actually called him the the, (laughs) – I thought this was great in the context of the show – the opposite kind of manager to the Peter Grants and Colonel Tom Parkers. So. He was usually hanging out in the background, getting things done on behalf of his clients. He was not out in the foreground making a name for himself. That's why you might not know his name, even though it's a super cool name, Seppo. And pro, pro artist, you know. Yeah, very pro artist. But before he did rock and roll back in the 70s, this guy Seppo, he was in film, and he was making shorts and ads, and he was like in the advertising world kind of. And through all this, he ends up on this committee where they're helping to plan and organize an arts festival in Helsinki. And in this role... He gets to start bringing American rock acts to Finland. So this is how Helsinki gets Zappa. They get Weather Report. They get Iggy Pop in the country because of Seppo. This is how he cuts his teeth in the music industry. Wow. And he'll go on to promote and organize this big concert series that happens in a historic park there. So... This gives him the reputation and the cred so that in 1980 when he's in the Tavastia Club in Helsinki one night and he sees these dudes, he feels comfortable approaching them about becoming their manager. They don't agree at first. Maddie and Tara will take up the stage name Mike Monroe. That is what you probably yeah. know him as. That is correct. And a couple of dudes from that punk band that Maddie wouldn't join, they'll defect from their punk band and join his group and they'll move to Sweden. And most of them well, like three fifths of them will actually be homeless for a while while they're in Sweden, and they start trying to make it in the big time. And this is this is the beginning. This is like the opening scene uh, after the montage. If we were making a film about Hanoi Rocks. <laughs>
0: So when did you first hear Hanoi Rocks? It was through the magazines. So I would see them in like cream or metal edge or anything that I had a subscription to. I would see photographs of them. But it was, I heard, there was one song I heard of theirs. And from that, I didn't like Hanoi Rocks. And I, I didn't like buy their cassettes or whatever. And it, it was the cover song. The, and that's the, how I heard them. The CCR song? That's
1: correct. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk talk about that in a minute. Because when I came across that, I was like, this is a real thing. (laughs) Uh, And we'll talk about about why that happens and who convinces them to do that. But it's important to emphasize this idea about them being homeless when they first move to Sweden. Because this becomes a big talking point for the rest of their career. As they rise in esteem, this is a key part of their lore. Here's a quote from Mike Monroe. When we started Hanoi Rocks, we were homeless. I had a few hundred finish marks, not much, when I left home and ended up in Stockholm. So for me, Sammy Yaffa and Nasty Suicide, yes, there was a guy in the band who went by the name Nasty Suicide. We were living on the streets for the first six months, begging for change. We'd beg enough to get a hamburger to share, a bottle of wine, and then we'd befriend other homeless people. And we'd sometimes go to the bar and chat up a girl, and, invite, and she'd invite me to her house. And I'd say, do you mind if my friends come too? <laughs> And then oh we
0: show up at her house and we go straight to the refrigerator. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go pick up this girl so we can eat all of over food. I, I
1: hate, you know, you got to survive. Uh, Seppo. So Seppo, this guy that we just talked about, right? The guy who was bringing Iggy pop into Finland at a young age. Uh, he hasn't given up on pursuing a relationship with this band. He ends up coming to Sweden after they move to Sweden to see them play again, and then he will officially become their manager when he's there. And when he's helping them drive, good stuff happens fairly fast. Seppo starts getting them shows. They start making money. They don't have to go dumpster diving or fridge perusing in random women's houses. By the end of 1980, they will work with his Finnish record label to record and release a song called I Want You, and it's B-side, Kill City Kills. They'll hit the road in January of 81, and they will play all over Finland and Sweden on a 102-day tour. At the time, that's like noteworthy because there's nobody
0: touring like that in that part of the world. Yeah, and 102 venues in those places, like, got me, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're playing basements or backyards or what. When you play together that often, too, it's hard not to become a really good live band if you're playing that consistently, right? So February 81, a second single and a full-length record, and this is... Where if you've heard of them, you probably know about Bangkok Shocks, Saigon Shakes, Hanoi Rocks. That's the full name of their full length record. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It gets released, and by September of that year, they make another move as a band and they go to London. Uh, fun fact about this this record: How much do you know about this record? Did you have this record?
0: Yeah after after I heard them like and I kind of gave up on them. This was the record that I got. So this was this was me giving them a spin. So this was the one record of theirs I did have.
1: So so often, especially in the eighties, you would get a big name producer when you were trying to make a name for yourself. Mike Monroe and his partner in crime, who was in that punk band, who was in the band in Hanoi with him, Andy McCoy, they produced this record. And do you, have you, do you remember this? Do you remember they called themselves like their fake production team?
0: Oh, they had a fake name. The two of them. They together. call
1: themselves the Muddy Twins,
0: which was a jab at Jagger <laughs> that, and Richards for
1: being the Glimmer Twins.
0: The Glimmer Twins. Oh, like it's pretty funny. The
1: output keeps coming. The crowd size keeps increasing. At least in places like in places like Sweden and Finland and London and Japan, and they get really really big in Japan, and so wow. these guys start acting like rock stars. And there's this great interview from Kerrang! That's in the show notes. It was printed in July of '82. And keep in mind, these guys are super young. So Andy McCoy at this point is 19. And this is what Andy says about their ascent. I've got a very positive attitude towards sex, but I get enough of it now. I'm more into drugs. <laughs> the interviewer, the, uh, uh, this is a guy who actually chronicled Hanoi for a while. His name is Dave Dixon. And if you look up Hanoi and try to read about them, his name comes up pretty quickly because he's, he's written most of what's out there about them. He will write in relation to that quote how much of this I'm willing to believe remains to be seen but hmm. if there's any actual question about if this band is dabbling in drugs it gets answered fairly soon because Andy McCoy is hanging around with this rough crowd and they've got this guy playing drums for them named who goes by the name Jip Casino another fantastic name I, I, this band is not getting enough credit for their awesome yeah, member names they
0: do have great names
1: and Jip Casino has a bit of a heroin habit and while there were clearly a lot of tensions mounting, they all come to a head between these two guys, Andy McCoy and Jip Casino at an unfortunate time and place. I mean, this is the last place you want a confrontation to happen when you're in a band. And that is on stage. (laughs) I I found this, this interview with Jip from 2009. Let me just, let me just read you what he says happens. I just couldn't hit him, you know, but I could hit his guitar (laughs) what if I said that to you Murdoch listen buddy you know I'm too close to you but to show you how upset with you I am I'm not going to hit you I'm going to hit your musical instrument so that's that's a that's a pretty hard kick to the ball oh exactly so I suppose it was some kind of a fight this is Jip again reflecting back on this I was getting tired of it all and he was fooling around he'd have a bad day and when Andy, Andy had a bad day he'd have a bad sound so it was no fun to be around him We arrived at this festival two hours late. We started up the show pretty good. The first two songs sounded fine. Suddenly, my snare drum skin breaks, and I waved to the roadie and asked for a new snare drum skin. And Andy comes up to the drums and says something to me. And I felt, okay, I can take that. And suddenly, when the roadie came back to the stage with the replacement drum skin, Andy went to him and kicked him in the face. (gasps) Oh. And then he was back with me on the drums again. By now, I'd had enough, so I just kicked my drums and took his guitar and threw it at the wall. <laughs> I'd had enough. What? So I just kicked my own drums. Three hours later, Andy was in jail. I was back in the hotel room. I it, then did everything I could do to get my position back in the band, but they had made up their mind. Uh, he went to jail? Andy was in jail? I think like overnight or something. So suddenly, right as Hanoi Rocks is starting to get pretty high profile. because They, they f- fire their drummer? They fire Jip Casino.
0: Is it because he because he threw the guitar? Yeah,
1: I mean that's what he thinks. That's what he thinks. I've read things that said he was addicted to pornography, which is always so weird to me
0: when porn comes up with eighties metal bands. I'm like,
1: that's a problem being an eighties metal band. Like, I don't get it. I just um,
0: have so many questions, and I don't want to know the answers. You know, but exactly. go ahead.
1: Uh, there was also talk of them um, having some issues with, well, him specifically having some issues with depression. And, uh, you know, being suicidal at points. I mean, I I don't know. But if you hear Jip Casino tell it in the last 15 years, he will say the the real thing that pushed him out of the band was he threw that guitar. Who knows? But what this does is it puts Hanoi Rocks in need of a drummer and it gives a perfect opening
0: to a young man named Nicholas Charles Dingley. Brian, thank you for telling us this amazing history about Hanoi Rocks. This is great. (laughs) Because now we meet now we meet Razzle, uh, yeah, a guy who knows he can't be a rock star and have the last
1: name Dingley, so he chooses right. a one word moniker, and the world will come to know him as Razzle. Now this guy's been circling around the band for a while. I read that Mike Monroe met him at a Johnny Thunder show, but there's also a story that he would just come backstage sometimes at their shows, even while Jip was still in the band, and say that he should be allowed into the group. Mike Monroe well. will Mike Monroe will admit that. Razzle was not a better drummer than Jip, but he was a better fit for the band and personality. Quote, Razzle wasn't great technically, but he had a gung-ho (laughs) up-against-the-world attitude and fit in with the band's style perfectly. I love that he was totally determined to be in the band, and when he joined, we were a real gang. He he came to the first audition where we checked him out in platform boots. That's going to be hard to play drums with platform boots on, end quote. Yeah. Uh, He'd been in a speed metal kind of band before, and he had two bass drums, and we were like double kick drums. No way. He brought a second bass drum to a show, and at the venue, we took the other pedal off before the show, and he was so pissed off at us. But after that, he realized it wasn't our thing, but he was a fantastic drummer and had his style and human touch, and he and Sammy, the bass player, together were a perfect rhythm section. Now they've got... Yeah, it's cute. They've got this... They got this gang, as they call it, together. Razzle's in the band. August 82, Hanoi Rocks releases their third studio album. They call it Self-Destruction Blues. Jip plays drums on the record, but Razzle gets in the photo and gets the credit in the liners.
0: That's that's classic. And they're a gang, which means they're going to run into another gang very shortly. Well, Like, they're gangs. Yeah, so keep going. In
1: 83, these dudes start moving outside Europe, to your point. And they're building a following across the globe. There is, there is this one funny anecdote I wanted to mention before we get to where we're going. They get gigged in Israel around this time. And Israel had just started letting bands into their country. Like, like rock bands? Yeah, like rock bands. Like, with, like a year or two before. Like early 80s. And so the story goes that people in Israel thought they were female prostitutes. Oh, and they didn't know that they were booking guys dressed up in drag. And, yeah, and so they would spit on them, and they said they had to stay in the hotel the whole time. So they they get another record out in May of 83. It's called Back to Mystery City. And this band is finally getting attention in the U.S., and they will sign a three-album deal with CBS Records. Wow. And you know who signs on to do this next record?
0: Oh, like to produce it or, or manage it? To produce it. Um, uh, where are we at? 80, 83? I don't know. B- Bob Ezrin. Kiss back in the orbit again. Yeah, this we did. Interesting. All right. So yeah.
1: Ezrin, Ezrin's coming in to do this record called Two Steps from a Move. And to illustrate just how much interest these guys are getting at this point, in early 84, Hanoi Rocks and Bob Ezrin will start recording in New York and Toronto. And listen who will show up to help in the studio. Okay? Because that, now they've got Ezrin. Ezrin invites Ian Hunter of Mott the Hoople. <laughs> Ian Hunter shows up and goes, I'm bringing my buddy, Jack Bruce. J- Jack, Br- Jack Bruce from Cream. Uh, <laughs> Jack Bruce invites Pete Brown. So the hitting is getting real heavy. And when they get to the end, they realize they don't know what song should be a single. So CBS Records says, Here, this is what you should do. You should record a cover of CCR's Up Around the Bend.
0: And so that's what happened. So then I heard that then with that great group of people around. But I didn't like them because I, I thought I just didn't like, I didn't like, I didn't give them a chance. It's weird, man. Historically, it's weird. I think in the moment it had to have been weird. It, it, it is
1: not, I don't, yeah, I don't get it. But it works. I mean, so what, who, what do I know? Um, and if they have this American record deal and they've got this hit now, even if it's a cover of CCR. They need an American tour. So after touring all over the globe, like just keep in mind, America's one of the last stops. They've been everywhere, and they're pretty big everywhere. And they load up in late 1984. They get their passports stamped, and they bring the Hanoi Rocks live show to the US of A. It starts in Buffalo on the 14th of November, and they're just popping around New England. And it's fast and hectic. And on November 29th, something happens that, depending on how you think think about life and consequences and cause and effect this small moment changes the course of rock history to to a certain degree it definitely changes the course of where we're headed in this episode okay syracuse new york andy mccoy puts his beer bottle on his amp or on his speaker so on something on the stage and you know it's not a great place if you're a musician you know better than that normally not a great place when you're rocking with a lot of decibels. So that beer bottle falls off and shatters on the stage. This is, this is Andy telling the story in one small town on the East coast. Mike Monroe twisted his ankle and it was my fault. I broke a bottle on the stage floor and Mike jumped on a sharp piece from it. Oh, he twisted his ankle and we had to cancel a few gigs. What a prick. They try to soldier on and play Toronto, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland and Detroit again. After they do that, the ankle is in terrible shape. And so they're supposed to go down to Atlanta and do a few more dates before Christmas. And management and the band all decide that's not a good idea because Mike is in, in pretty bad shape. He needs to recuperate. So they're like, listen, you're already in the States and we, you can't really perform, but we need to get some work out of you. So let's send you across the country to L.A., and you can do oh, promo Jesus. for the album. Christ. And this is it? This is, this this is, is how, how this they happens. get there. This is how they get there. With that change of plans caused by that broken bottle ankle twist, Hanoi Rocks finds themselves looking up some new friends they'd made backstage at a festival that summer. They call Motley Crue. Lord. This is okay. where I turn the show over to you for a few minutes. Let's talk
0: about where Crue is at this
1: point. It's the end of 1984.
0: Doc McGee, who managed them, or who was managing them at the the end here recently, was their manager in 83, and he took over. If you don't know who that is, that's the most famous drug dealer turned uh, uh, <laughs> music manager ever in the history of anything. Look it up. Good yep. Lord, yep. how much weed was that guy trying to bring into the U.S. from Jamaica? So they played the... U.S. Fest to whatever the U.S. Fest, I never know which which way to call it, and then shout. That's that's like in the summer of '83, and then shout comes out in the fall, and then they go out with Ozzy, and then, so they've blown everyone up because people have seen this live show, and that's where the lightning in the bottle for the crew really was, I think, for people that saw them in that era. So they were, you know, they were getting ready to do this other record, which was becoming problematic based on. Like what was happening with Nikki in particular um, and writing songs. I know they were partying. Uh, their face off, obviously, is what we're going to get into. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's been a big year for both of these bands. And it's just a few weeks before Christmas. And so Vince Neil hears that Hanoi Rocks is coming to L.A. And he says, come out and hang out at my place right? We can just, and he's like, listen, I'll throw a little welcome to LA party for you guys, just with a few friends. It'll be like a celebration of the fact that you're finally doing a US tour. Now, keep in mind, this is Motley fucking crew. They're pretty much only known for their ability to overconsume and cause trouble. So, like, if, if you know, you call me and say you're coming to LA, and I'm like, I'm gonna give you a welcome to LA party. Like, you know, probably gonna have some Snickers bars, get get a late night cheeseburger, and maybe drive too fast, but like, it's not going to be like partying with Vince Neil.
0: No, we're not going to have like 12 Hooters girls come over to the house at 2 a.m. And then like someone coming over and like getting beaten up by an alligator at 5 a.m. We're, we're not going to have that kind of fun, man. And, and, and you, and you know,
1: it's, it's also very cute that you think this is all one night. Here's one thing. Once I dug into this story, that I found out it was like four days. It was not one night. Like you hear this story, and you think it's like they showed up at five p.m. and the tragedy happens at eleven thirty. No, it's like four days in.
0: Yeah, if you get if you read the dirt, which is the most amazing rock and roll book ever, that's where you really get to see. It's like oh, so they wake up the next day. Then there's more to it. Like once what what we're getting to here, like there's the. Day after that, you know, they're sitting around partying and like staying up and stuff goes bad. You mentioned the dirt. And and I think that the dirt is probably
1: heavily relied upon for what I'm going to mention. But I will tell you that if you are a crew head, there is this website called Chronological Crew. It's in the show notes. And they literally just try to go like day by day. Any historical things that happened with crew all big and small, on this just like never-ending blog on the internet. It looks very old, but man, it was very helpful. So a lot of what I'm about to to tell you here is coming from that, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is probably sourced from the dirt. Now, at some point during that party that's been going on for days, Vince notices that they've run out of beer. So he asks his neighbor, who had been there partying too, and this guy's name was Jim Thomas, who if you know your NBC anchormans, you might know that name. He was an NBC anchorman and he used to party with Vince Neal. Oh my God. Can you
0: imagine what the fuck that was like? (laughs) Dude. Someone's like, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going to go see my neighbor next door, Vince. Like, what does Vince do? He's the lead singer of Motley Crue. And it's like, you're hanging out with the weather guy. I'm just
1: trying to imagine when this guy's on live TV and his nose starts dripping blood from all the cocaine he's been doing. Like, you know that happened at least once. It's gotta be on YouTube. So Jim Thomas is there and Vince Neil walks up to him and he says, Hey, dude, I know you I know, man, I've been I've been telling you I was gonna let you see my sports car. I've got this 1972 De Tomaso Pantera. Uh will you I'll let you drive it if you'll take us to the liquor store. But Jim's about to take his lady out to dinner. Cause it's like late afternoon, five, six o'clock. But Razzle from Hanoi Rocks overhears this. And he's like Dude, I'll go with you, man. And so, you know, forgetting the fact that he was asking Jim to drive him because he couldn't drive. Vince Neil's like, cool, I got somebody to ride shotgun. Let's roll. So he and Razzle get into that 1972 de Tomaso Pantera. And they go to the liquor store. So they get there. They get hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol. And they head back. And at 6.38 p.m., three to four blocks from his house, less than a half a mile or so further ahead on the same street, there's a wet spot in the road that is caused by residential water runoff. Now, I heard residential wa- water runoff, or there was like a truck there, maybe maybe a fire truck or something. There was something there that was in the road. And so he's going way too fast. He's going he's 65. Speeding. 65 he's into 25.
0: Speeding like whatever the conditions are he's speeding
1: he hits the water and skids sideways for 35 feet oh my god god I forgot about this the car heads into oncoming traffic on the beachfront Esplanade northbound lane and collides into the passenger side of the only oncoming vehicle that vehicle is a white 1967 VW driven by an 18 year old girl named Lisa Hogan and her 20-year-old boyfriend, Daniel Smithers. Vince is concussed, cracks ribs, he has minor facial cuts. His blood alcohol level reads 0.17 when given a breathalyzer. The legal limit is 0.1. He has read his rights, and he's taken by police in their squad car to this nearby city of Torrance, because even though they're in Redondo, I guess Redondo's jail's being painted, and so he has to go to Torrance. And then I've heard different accounts of how the other guys found
0: out. Why don't you tell me what they say in the dirt? It's this really dramatic thing. They're waiting on them to come back and it's the Tommy chapter, you know, so it's (laughs) listening to Tommy talk first person and they realize that it's been a really long time and then they go outside and they hear ambulances up the street. So they take off up the street worried that it's them and he sees Razzle's shoe in the street. And then Vince is just like on the curb. That's what Tommy says happened. This is Andy right. McCoy. This is what Andy
1: McCoy says. And he's in Hanoi. Razzle disappeared, and so did Vince. So, me and Tommy Lee took his car and went looking for them. And we drove past this accident. And I was like, what color was the car they were driving? Because we just passed a fucking accident with a bright red sports car. And then I saw Razzle's hat on the street.
0: Yeah. Oh, he said he was like driving around with Tommy.
1: Whether it's a sneaker. Or a hat, that is a haunting image, to see yeah, the one yeah. clothing item disembodied laying in the middle of the street. So Tommy will drive his, his wife at the time, Candace, he'll drive Vince's pregnant wife, Beth, and he will drive the members of Hanoi Rocks to the hospital. After a long wait, a doctor will advise them that Razzle died at 7.12 p.m. after his severe head injuries were too much. Yeah, man. The driver of the other car is going to remain in a coma until the end of the month with a broken arm
0: and two broken legs. She got really injured in the crash.
1: Really badly. Severe brain damage, psychomotor seizures, the whole thing. The boyfriend suffers a broken leg and some brain damage as well. And there's actually a third car that gets pulled into the tumult. 25-year-old kid, and he's uninjured. Vince is questioned about the accident by police before they send him home. He still has Razzle's blood on his Hawaiian shirt and his shorts. Doc McGee calls to tell him that the police have decided to arrest him for vehicular manslaughter. So he turns around and turns himself in at the precinct.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Now, we've covered Vince and Tommy in this story, but we're missing
0: two other important
1: members of Molly Crew. Do, do you know the stories about Mick and Nikki?
0: Yeah. Um, I, know the, I know the Mick story. Go, sure. go, go with the I've, Mick story. So, if you haven't read The Dirt, you learn a lot about Mick that you didn't know because there's no, like, Mick out front. Like, he's not a personality. Right. So, so he was... So, he got really fucked up and took some, <laughs> some pills and was gonna walk out in the beach and just drown. He
1: decides he's gonna uh, kill himself. Totally unrelated. Right. This is during the party, before anything goes south. He's he's on right. lewds
0: and whiskey. And Vince is the one that sees him and then so mick i remember then he said he he woke up and but thought he was dead so not only does he think he's dead he 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 thinks he's like
1: just a ghost that's floating around and so he starts walking around and in his head he's dead and he walks back to vince's house from the beach and he sees tommy and candace and beth crying and he decides he's gonna walk in to see them as in his ghost form and but he thinks because he's a ghost he doesn't have to open the door. So he tries to walk through the glass door. <laughs> I mean, like I feel bad laughing at this, oh. but I don't know what else to do. And uh, he ends up flat on his back in the sand as he plows into a glass door and realizes he's alive.
0: Havana Gila. Glad you made it, buddy. <laughs> now, Nikki, Nikki's not even at the party. He was with Crosby.
1: Yeah, he was with I, Rats Crosby. Robin, Crosby Robin Crosby on vacation.
0: <laughs> yeah, he took off. He wasn't there. So they had to call him no, so th- and tell him. What I know. what I
1: heard was that the first he ever hears of this, and again, this could be blown out of proportion, but he's walking through the Miami airport and a fan recognizes him and says, dude, Vince is dead. There's oh. this brief period where he thinks Vince has died in this car accident. And he calls Doc McGee immediately. The 13th of December, Vince is freed by posting bail. $2,600, it's all it costs jeez oh my gosh and, and here here we are here's the question that brought us here from andrew what kind of trouble did he get in for causing this january ninth, 1985 he gets arraigned this is the moment that is seared into your head murdoch the conservative yeah. gray suit yep it takes two minutes his lawyer enters a plea of not guilty on his behalf and a preliminary hearing is scheduled for february 20th but the trial keeps getting postponed a, a little backstory to shed some light on why this situation is especially precarious for the band Vince, mm-hmm. you alluded to this at the top of the show. He had been drinking and driving prior to this. He has another DUI charge. He has a total, totally different one. And so this means that now with a compounded DUI charge, he could face seven years in jail. That's a big deal for anybody personally, right? But it's a really big deal when you're in business with three other guys touring around the world in a rock band, especially when you're a lead singer, right? So yeah. the media has an absolute heyday with this. The management will send him to rehab and detox. While he's in rehab and detox, he does not hear from the other guys in the band. They don't even come to check Mm-mm. on him.
0: No, and there's there's things that happen after this, like post this rehab, post this case, that's oh for sure, significant that, that's similar to this too, on what makes the band dynamic immediately different. So the band's third album, Theater of
1: Pain, will come out in June of '85. So remember, this incident happens in December of 84. So it's only six months. They will dedicate it to Razzle. And this sort of starts a new glam metal phase in the band's style. What are your thoughts on Theater of Pain? You like that record?
0: I think it's a piece of garbage. Okay.
1: But (laughs) what happens with the case? Vince has a pretty good lawyer, okay? And this guy tells him he should take a plea bargain. Plead guilty to vehicular manslaughter. And avoid the matter going to trial. Why? Why would he do that? Here's what the lawyer says. He says he can make the argument that since most of the members of the party were from Motley Crue and Hanoi Rocks, it was a business meeting. Oh, get out. And if it was a business meeting, the band's limited
0: liability insurance can pay out all of the settlements. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's so crazy.
1: And that gets worked out. They sentence him to 30 days in county jail to be served at the end of the Theater of Pain world tour. Yeah, he gets, he gets a break. He gets to go to work. He gets five years probation. He has completion of 200 hours of community service. He also orders restitution of $1.8 million to be paid to Lisa Hogan. And the other victim gets $700,000, while $200,000 will go to the estate of Razzle. The district attorney's office says Vince has already performed 40 to 50 hours of community service, including the Motley Crue concert at the Forum in Inglewood, which benefited the Palmer drug abuse program. They count that as community service. Yep. Newspaper headlines now read drunk killer Vince Neal sentenced to touring world with rock band. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's a lot of fallout from this, right? First, the band's devastated by all of this. The band Hanoi rocks. Let me, let me be clear. They don't ever make up the rest of that U S tour. Mike Monroe will try to keep the band together. He'll replace members when they leave. But by the time theater of pain is hitting stores for Motley crew, Mike Monroe is officially ending Hanoi Rocks. So in those six months, two very different trajectories for these two bands involved. Yeah. Vince Neil doesn't go easy on himself at least in the press. He tells Blender Magazine at one point, quote, I wrote a $2.5 million check for vehicular manslaughter when Razzle died, and I should have gone to prison. I definitely deserve to go to prison, but I did 30 days in jail and got laid and drank beer because that's the power of cash, and that's fucked up.
0: And then on top of that, like here's where the band dynamic changed. Like I kind of mentioned this earlier. Once they went out on tour and Vince hasn't gone to jail yet, he was kind of like isolated from the rest of those guys. This is from the dirt, like somewhat I'm kind of paraphrasing some things. But they ostracized him. Like this is per Nicky, those are his words. And it's like he was in trouble, but they weren't. And oh, they shit. would, you know, tell him not to drink, even though they're holding a Jack Daniels bottle. You know, so they they kind of messed with his head about it. Crazy. Yeah. And and that's how much. So and Andrew, that's how much jail time, how much money he paid and how much community service Vince got.
1: They'll continue Um, to try to make this, you know, I don't know if they're easing their consciences or if they're just doing what they can. But, you know, you you see this for several years. But in October of eighty five. They do this show in San Antonio, Texas, and they'll donate a little under 20 grand to a nonprofit youth peer leadership organization that Vince has been working with to educate students about becoming responsible drivers. He's actually, at this point, going around giving anti drunk driving talks at schools, I guess, as part of his community service. Right. I can't imagine that. Like, I'd really like, if anybody's got video, I'd love to see it. They're also auctioning off tickets to their shows and that sort of thing to raise money for drug education programs. So they're trying, but I think as we know, Vince, I mean, it doesn't really stick with Vince in the long run.
0: His his golf tournament eventually does. Lots of people know who the guy is because of that. You know, because he started that that foundation. Not the uh, Arena Football League team that he bought where he sang the National Anthem on opening day, <laughs> which is on YouTube. I'm just mentioning it. I don't, I don't have it. We can put it in the show notes, I guess. Or you can just look for it. Hey, He really tries. It's a lot different than this crazy meme sh- stuff you see now where it's him just scatting non-words where he's singing kickstart my heart. How he had it? How about he? Where he's doing, it's doing that and they're phonetically spelling it. Like he really tried to sing the national anthem, man. Uh,
1: plenty of stuff in the show notes for you to dig through if you are if you can't get enough. And again, uh, you know the dirt—that's a place to start. Of course, it's coming from those four dudes, so who the hell knows? But, um uh, chronological crew is in the show notes. There's a lot of video clips and different things you can check out, um, as well. And remember, if you want to get involved in the show, if you want to tell us your crew story, if you have another question, uh, something you want us to look into, please by all means send us an email. It's we are the story guys. At gmail.com. And uh, until next time, Murdoch, what should people keep doing? Keep telling stories.
0: Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright: Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.